Good morning, everyone. It's our first reading. We're told about um, the beginning of the church, the first days after the resurrection, and we hear about Paul and Barnabas, and um, they first go to the Jewish community because that's the way it was supposed to have happened. And what we hear is that they're rejecting. We don't want to hear about Jesus. We don't want to hear about that nonsense about resurrection because that's how they felt about it. Our second reading, John, the Blessed One, tells us about the afterlife. I had a vision, and here's what I saw. And uh, in particular, he's speaking about those who would suffer because of God on earth, those who would uh, believe in Jesus Christ. That's, but he saw a greater picture of heaven, but in particular, and uh, he said, and they have a new life, a new resurrected life. My friends, and in my four and a half years with you, I've preached about the Good Shepherd, about how it, the image and how um, we should understand it. And uh, my thought today, um, I'd like to speak a little bit differently on this passage. And um, I want to speak about the setting and background for the dialogue that's happening from the gospel today and see how uh, that relates to us today. So looking at it, John situates the scene by saying that Jesus was walking in a very beautiful area by the temple and uh, the portico of Solomon. And when he says something like this, it's because it has meaning for some reason. So it was during uh, the Jewish celebration of the Feast of the Dedication uh, that this is happening. And we know that, we, the Christians, that means, um, and it commemorates the rededication of the temple in 165 BC. Uh, what happened was pagans had uh, profaned and desecrated the temple. And the Jews eventually recover it and take back control of the temple. And when they do that, uh, they light uh, candles and uh, oil lamps that illumine not only their homes, but the street of their city, and then, of course, the temple. That is known as the Festival of Lights. Um, and this is where, uh, when you see the Jewish community use menorah, that's where that's from. That's what they're remembering and celebrating. We are told it is during this celebration that Jesus talks to them. Jesus makes a promise. He promises his disciples eternal life, assuring them that they will never perish. This was a very difficult concept for the Jewish people to grasp. Because for hundreds and hundreds of years, uh, there was very little understanding on any such notion. That's why I open with um, Paul and Barnabas are preaching resurrection, and the people have just, they're not, they're not, they just, no, 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 we're not having this. They simply could not conceive of life without a body. Later on, the Jewish people, uh, they would say, well, we know God is all just. And uh, we know in this world that good people often suffer, while people who do wicked things often prosper. Yeah. Okay. So then they wondered, all right, how is God going to fix that? How is he going to reconcile this? If God's justice was to be vindicated... 
they ultimately concluded there had to be some kind of afterlife in which God would redress all the wrongs by rewarding the good and punishing the evil. And this is where the Sadducees and the Pharisees uh, separated. The Sadducees said, you guys are idiots. There are no such thing as a resurrection. All there is is now. The Pharisees are the ones who are like, well, there's something. I don't know what it is, but it's something. I mean, friends, I don't mean to be light of it, but it's in the scriptures. It's in the Torah. And this is what is baffling to me, that uh, they, it's the Old Testament. Their Torah speaks about it. Um, and both the Pharisees and the Sadducees are both scholars of, and they're not getting it. And I want to bring up, the Book of Wisdom offers some of the earliest assurances of an afterlife found in the Holy Scriptures. And still, the concept of resurrection and eternal life remain elusive to the Jewish people and, um, and to many people today. Uh, and so, uh, I'm not talking about Christians, and I'm going to get into that. I had my little meltdown yesterday about that. Um, but this is the Old Testament, the book of wisdom. This is in the Torah. For God formed us to be imperishable. The image of his own nature, he made us. And it goes on further. The souls of the righteous are in the hand of God, and no torment shall touch them. They seemed in the view of the foolish to be dead, and they're passing away, thought an affliction. And they're going away from us utter destruction, but they are why Jesus got so frustrated with them. Hello, it's in here. <laughs> the word of God is telling you. Jesus is trying to point this out. All right, I'm going to quote you from the Torah because, you know, they didn't believe in him. And yet the concept of the afterlife and eternal life remain elusive to them. And the Sadducees really found any talk of the resurrection is absolutely ridiculous. And they often fought Jesus on this. And um, Jesus dismisses uh, their thoughts, their understanding, um, and dismisses them. I mean, he first tries to show them, then he just gets really frustrated and kind of dismisses. You know, just go over there and sit in the corner. <laughs> and because they do not understand the true and spiritual nature of the resurrection and of the resurrected body. And he tried to use scriptures to refute them. And my friends, in one of the, for me, in one of the greatest moments, uh, he cited one of the most famous pieces of the Torah to them, uh, that it was considered to be absolutely sacred at all it is, but sometimes, oh, but this particular passage is the best. And he quoted because it was God's own words, not rather, and then the prophet said, and here it is. It's found in Exodus 3.6, and it's an encounter with Moses, who they consider to be the great one. And there it says, God says to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. Those patriarchs, Finish my quote. Those patriarchs have been dead for hundreds of years at that time. So Jesus throws that at them and then argues God uses the present tense back then to prove 
that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still alive. Can't be. Now this brings me to my boiling point about Christians. We don't believe in the resurrection. What? What? You don't believe in the resurrection of the body. And yet our master told us so. This is stubborn-headed as the Jews were back then that Jesus was dealing with. Many people today, and even devout Christians, have difficulty understanding what the resurrection means because we have never experienced a resurrection. You've experienced death, loved ones, friends, and for the children, goldfish. You see, they see it, observe it, they know. But no one has seen the resurrection So, my friends, I'm going to try something different. But it's because Paul did it, I'm going to try it. Nature offers some analogies that provide insights about such matters. It does not remove the mystery about it, but it helps us to maybe understand. St. Paul uses the image of a seed giving life to a new and different form of existence. The seed... You plant in the ground, and then that becomes a flower. It's completely different from what it was. And it's an amazing thing that he says. It's found in 1 Corinthians 15. My friends, and before I even go there to that one, here's what Paul said. If Christ, but if Christ is preached as raised from the dead, how can some among you say there is no resurrection from the dead? If there is no resurrection from the dead, then neither has Christ been raised and if Christ has not been raised, then empty is our preaching, and empty is your faith. And then we are giving false witness to God. But here's Paul. But some of you may say, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come back? They're messing with him. But Paul's going to take it seriously. Hmm. <laughs> I love this. You fool, <laughs> which is a bad word in the <laughs> it's a bad word <laughs> in the scriptures. <laughs> you fool. What you sow is not brought to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel of wheat, perhaps, or of some other kind. But God gives it a body as he chooses, and to each of the seeds, its own body. Or it goes on further. I mean, you should read it. It's fascinating. But Paul's, I forgot about this piece until I was doing this homily. St. Paul would ultimately suggest our mortal bodies are the seed for a far more glorious body, which will live one day forever with God. Taking that, I'm going to take some liberties. So I'm going to try and use nature also. Water beetles. Hang on, hang on. <laughs> water beetles, they live their life on water. They live on lakes. And eventually they crawl off the lake when it's time for them to die. When that time comes, they find a branch. They secure themselves to it, and then they die. Now, I would really love if it was three days later, but it doesn't work that way. <laughs> but it doesn't work. 
But within a relatively short time thereafter, the sun, the heat of it, dries their shells and it cracks. At that point, a dragonfly emerges and flies away. And what my sense of humor, he, they wave goodbye to their brothers and sisters on the lake, bye-bye. <laughs> Frankie, is that funny? <laughs> no? <laughs> you see what I'm getting at? The dragonfly emerges. It is a new and completely different type of life for the water beetle. I'm going to take another one that maybe more people can relate to. The caterpillar. The caterpillar is only capable of crawling around the ground, poor thing. <laughs> it just, and it moves really slow. But in its time, it will spin a cocoon, crawl inside, and then it is transformed into a beautiful butterfly. And I'm not an idiot. I know what science calls it. Metamorphosis. I know. But you accept these marvelous transformations of lesser creatures in nature. Why then should we balk at the thought of our own bodily resurrection. When I talk with scientists, most of them laugh at me because they'll say, well, you know, the, uh, the principles, uh, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I know God made those principles. I want to talk to you about gravity. God made that too. <laughs> they just look at me. Okay, there's no winning with this one. Now, if God applied his scientific and mathematical principles of the universe to the most minute and insignificant of his creation, doesn't it make sense to assume that he applied it also to the human soul? If he would do something marvelous to a water beetle and a caterpillar, why should we doubt something great for the soul that he has created also in the human person? Why should we balk at the thought of resurrection by God's grace and by belief in Jesus Christ? My friends, but most importantly, should we not accept the resurrection as true and believe it simply because our Lord Jesus Christ said it was so? That's enough for me. If he said it, I believe it. I live my life based on his teaching of the resurrection. You need to do the same thing. You need to live your life believing in the resurrection. That means you need to live your life now with that belief. Because often the scriptures will say, even now you have that resurrected life within you. It seems just nutty to me that any Christians would doubt it. In our small scripture for today, there's many other ways that could have gone. But one of the things we hear is about unity uh, between 
the Father and the Son, and between the Son and his flock. Unity of thought and action. And uh, one of the things you can gather from it, the task of the flock, you and I, is to follow Jesus. And to follow Jesus is to be his disciple. It means to believe what he says and to do what he asks of us, to follow his voice. That's what that means. And then very simply in there too, it tells us what the task of the shepherd is, what the task of the father and the son are. Their task is not to lose any of the flock. It's that simple. Brothers and sisters, I ask you um, to really pray and reflect upon the resurrection because St. Paul will say, without it, we have no hope. Without it, our faith is truly empty. You understand? We are a resurrected people. So we need to start acting that way.